Let's open God's Word and look at it carefully. Open God's Word to Luke chapter 4, the closing paragraphs of Luke chapter 4, as we continue our exposition and find a wonderful passage that will also dovetail well with our celebration of Reformation Sunday. Reformation Sunday from 1517 to 2022. As you're turning, a special warm welcome to those who are worshiping from home and and listening now to God's word uh, at the live stream or later. God bless you. Join us if you can and be among God's people. We'll be reading Luke's gospel beginning in verse 38 of chapter 4 through the end of the chapter from the English Standard Version of God's holy word. And I... Open to the wrong tab. Worked all last week in Ephesians, so my tab was moved. Humbling. Luke 4, verse 38. And he, Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thus far we read in God's holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey his word. Amen. Amen. When there is much to do, where do you start? When you just turn in a circle and see work everywhere... Where do you begin? Yes, that was my experience yesterday. I went outside to look at the leaves. I live in Clifton Knowles. We have more trees than people. And a lot of trees on the Bissett property. And there were leaves everywhere. And they were already ankle deep as I stepped out the front door. I had to at least clear the entryway for house guests tonight. So I got out one of our favorite devices, the leaf blower. And it runs out because the battery wasn't charged. So I get the one that plugs in and blue leaves. And as you blow them, they go that way. And that, the work seems endless. And then you got to get under the bushes. And then the wind comes and rearranges your piles. Where do you start when there's much to be done? It's not just a question for leaf season here in the Northeast. Maybe you're thinking in terms of the holiday season as the calendar clicks over to November. 
Praise God for daylight savings time and extra hours sleep. But the holiday season brings your to-do list uh, uh, a great many things. But think in terms with me as we look at the gospel and the life and ministry of Jesus. Where do you begin when you're the Messiah sent into a broken world where sin has ravaged body and soul and continues to do so. Jesus could look around, not only outside, but inside synagogues and see so much brokenness, so much work to be done. He came to his own and his own received him not. It seems like he was on his own. Where does Jesus begin? Where does Jesus start? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit met on the day of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus, in his humanity, was filled with the Spirit of God. The Father spoke, this is my Son, and he began his ministry by first facing the devil. The devil knew that day was coming. As Jesus entered the world, they they had it out. Jesus put him down with facing those three temptations. But as he proactively began his ministry, what did he do? Luke chapter 4 describes that, doesn't it? It tells us. Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then after that, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Verse 18, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, went to begin his public ministry. But what did that include? What did that look like? Today's segment at the end of the Gospel of Luke will help us answer that question. And having a few paragraphs under our belt, we will see what components there were to the mission of Jesus. And we'll see where his priorities lay. I think that will help us a lot today. Jesus had announced in Luke what his ministry would look like. Let's also take a quick look at verses 17 and following of chapter 4. Jesus had been handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus picked this passage and read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus shares his marching order. Jesus shares his ministry plan and agenda in that passage. Proclaiming, liberating, healing, and more proclaiming. As we look at those mission components, we'll see which is Jesus' priority. As we start our text in earnest, as we look to chapter 4 and verse 38 now, we see Jesus again in a situation where he needs to heal not only an individual, but many. And there's more demon exorcisms to be done. 
beginning in verse 38. And one thread we see displayed in these events is the power of Jesus. That's our first heading. We see the power of Jesus on display. He had spoken of liberating. He had spoken of healing. And when he was going to speak to those who were oppressed, that that language describes those who are afflicted by demons. So behold the power of Jesus in his ministry, as we saw earlier, power in the Holy Spirit. What in particular do we find in verse 38 and 39? He left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Who is that? Simon Peter. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Take note, uh, Simon Peter, the leader of those apostles, uh, the leader uh, of the early church, was a married man. He had a mother-in-law. I know Roman Catholic teachings uh, often don't uh, appreciate that being pointed out. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, not just a fever, a high fever. It was serious. So serious that they were, they were needing help and needing it quickly. And so they appealed to Jesus. Notice that he heals her in a private home, not just in the public gathering of the synagogue. We had that last time we were in Luke, the previous paragraph. A demon had spoken up in the synagogue, and that's where Jesus exercised his power. But we see something here, that the power of Jesus is not just for church services the power of jesus is not just for insiders but for outsiders it's not just for the benefit of groups but his power seems to be also for the benefit of individuals we're learning more about the power of jesus in a private home with one person we also see that this high fever was cured instantly i won't ask you to raise your hand if you've had a fever One of the best parts is when it breaks. Ah, what do you feel? You feel exhausted. (laughs) You're no longer feverish, but you're not going to go up and go dancing. You're not going to go up and do a lot of hospitality, are you? Dr. Luke, as he gathers this detailed and historically accurate report about Jesus, remember the introduction, that's his aim, to present Jesus accurately, notes That the high fever was gone, and when it was gone, she immediately rose and began to serve. Out of gratitude, I'm sure, but with new strength in a healed body. The power of Jesus to heal immediately. One word from Jesus, and his power accomplishes this healing with no lingering effects. Let us take note. And it doesn't stop there. Because people find out that Jesus is back in, uh, in town. Verse 40 says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one. He heals many one by one. We see his power exercised in private. We see his power effective and complete with immediacy. By the way, doesn't that expose a lot of fake healing ministries out there where people say, uh, go home and later on you'll, you'll notice the difference? No, this is an immediate healing. 
he also has the power to heal many, and he does it one by one. He doesn't use a blanket healing thing. Oh, Lord, look at the, Father, look at the people outside the front door. Just heal them all. The text tells us something further about the power of Jesus. It has time for the individual. He heals many, but he heals them one by one. Hi, what's your problem? Be healed. Hello, what's your problem? Be healed. Hello, what's your problem? Be healed. What does that tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? The one announced by Isaiah, filled with the spirit of the Lord, anointed to proclaim, to liberate, to heal. Tells us about his compassion, his carefulness. During the season of Jesus' days on earth, there were a lot of miracles, a lot of healings, as well as a lot of demonic opposition. Everything seemed to come to a climax at the fullness of time when God himself entered his creation. In this episode, as Luke writes to us for the building up of our faith, for our benefit, he tells us about the power of Jesus for one-by-one needs. Let me pause here, just a little digression, and ask, does Jesus still heal today? Of course, the answer is yes. Jesus can and does heal today, and and, and we mean supernaturally, by a word from our Savior, by a word from the Lord Jesus Christ, individuals can be healed But we need to understand that the miracles of healing in the Bible weren't establishing a new normal. They were exceptions. That's why we call them miracles. They are rare today. They had a purpose, so that's why they appeared in abundance in Jesus' day, to point to the Messiah, to identify the one who would bring healing and liberation both to body and soul. They were signs. So they've diminished. They're not the norm today. Instead, God has graciously given us discoveries of medicine, improved healing arts. These are blessings from God. And the norm is not heal every Christian of every illness. Because our God also works through suffering. The servant is not above the master. If you were to ask Jesus for healing and help for that miracle, perhaps he would answer as uh, commentator Michael Wilcox paraphrases it. He's, He's helping us with the language that we might hear from the Lord should we ask. Heal you? Yes, of course I could. I could give you immediate relief, but... Again, speaking as the Lord might answer us, but I would rather take the opportunity to do something far more reaching, which will be to your greater benefit in the long run. I know a young man who had cancer, spent a year in chemo, has recovered, he's more than seven years clear, and he has said, I would not undo that 
if I could go back in time. What? Because God draws near in our afflictions. God does something more far-reaching that is for greater good. Just a word on healing to help us. For many in our midst are afflicted. But before we leave the topic of the power of Jesus, we see one more evidence of it here. Yes, we have four points to the first heading. Power in home, power to heal immediately, power to heal many and do it one by one. But also, Jesus has power to cast out demons. And this isn't the first time in chapter 4. The previous paragraph, do you remember? He was in the synagogue and somebody in the synagogue piped up. Aha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 34. And Jesus quieted that demon and cast him out. Here at Peter's uh, neighborhood, perhaps still in the house, people were being brought to him. He's healing. Verse 41. And demons, says Luke, also came out of the man crying, You are the Son of God. But he, Jesus, rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, Jesus is controlling the advance of his self-revelation. Jesus wants to uh, be in charge of that information and not get ahead of the timeline that his father has set. So he tells the demons to be quiet and he casts them out. Jesus has power over demons. That's something that would be misunderstood down the road in Jesus' ministry. People would think he has power over demons because he's the prince of demons. (laughs) How short-sighted they are. They don't know the hierarchy that even the prince of demons is no match for the king of kings and the lord of lords. Jesus has power. And it's repeated here. Because we're seeing the mission of Jesus underway. And it is a breaking through the forces of darkness. It is breaking through physical barriers to bring good news. The power of Jesus is a big component of the ministry of Jesus. But notice further, our second heading, the presence of Jesus, as emphasized here. The presence of Jesus. As chapter 4 has unfolded his start to ministry... It's been twice that demons have called out who he is. In his presence, demons were provoked to speak truth. We saw it earlier in verses 33, 34, 35, and Jesus dealing with them. Why were they so afraid of him? Well, as John would write in 1 John chapter 3, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Their time was up. It wasn't just a parking violation. You have to move your vehicle or it'll get towed. No, these demons were done for. They would be destroyed. There's no redemption for demons. Jesus took a lot out of the world in the three years of his public ministry. Destroyed, cleared them out. But they reacted to his presence. Why would we emphasize the presence of Jesus? Well, do you remember Jesus had announced his public ministry that uh, this scripture from Isaiah was fulfilled in their hearing. 
the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The servant of the Lord had arrived and he was coming and announcing the year of the Lord's favor. And he was coming to inaugurate in a fresh new way the kingdom of God. Look down a bit to what Jesus was uh, preaching here. Verse 43, and we'll talk about the preaching next, but part of his presence and arrival was the inauguration of the kingdom. Verse 33, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom Because he is present. The demons are reacting to his presence because he is the coming king. He is the anointed one. He is the holy one. The title used in the Old Testament only for Jehovah. Demons are now using of Jesus. They know the doctrine of the Trinity. They know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three are one. They react. They announce even when others say, isn't he just the carpenter's son? Who is this guy? The demons know. And they speak that truth. Jesus' presence as king and fulfillment of Isaiah is also announced by the healing miracles. They will pile up. He'll be famous for that, and that will help draw the crowd. But that's not the goal of the mission. The goal of the mission is to bring about the kingdom of God, to announce the arrival of the king, and the good news that that opens for all of us. So the demons, as well as all the miracles of healing are great signs and pointers. Look who's here. Announcing the presence of the king. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom. Well, isn't that an interesting way of describing preaching yourself as the Messiah, the king, greater than David, who has finally come? It's that the Lord's rule would be so different Yes, I am king of the Jews, but you don't understand how that works. It's not a physical kingdom with a big office building and a throne on earth. It is a spiritual kingdom. We, we can perhaps most simply define the kingdom of God as the rule of God in the hearts and minds of men and women. The rule or reign of God expressed, developed, and displayed on earth. As Jesus gathers disciples, as he gathers converts, as the church grows, the kingdom grows. Because the king has come. Luke is very consistent here with how Matthew and Mark also begin their works of literature. The gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, similar to what Luke has here in chapter 4, Matthew says... 417, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, and then it gives us a summary. His sermons were more than one sentence long. The summary says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew, the the most Jewish of the four gospel writers, doesn't say kingdom of God because most good Jews didn't use the name God when they couldn't have. So he says kingdom of heaven. That's very Matthew-like. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, gets to it very quickly. Mark 1, 14, that announcement is this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, here comes his summary for this very day, these events, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
How is the kingdom of God at hand? Because Jesus is there. Commanding spirits. Healing bodies. Combing the wind and the waves. Standing to make God the Father known. And the way of salvation plain. And then accomplishing that salvation. By his death and resurrection. The king had come. So it is important to note the presence of Jesus here. It was the inaugural day. The ministry of Jesus was to be present in the power of the Holy Spirit and to exercise that power. These are big components of his mission. But as you see where we're going, the biggest component is yet to come. And Jesus, by his own words, tells us his priority was preaching. His priority was preaching. Let's read that verse again. Verse 42 and 3. When it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. When the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. There are more people to heal. They want him to stay. There are more demons lurking. They want them out. Jesus, please stay. Please stay. There's a whole neighborhood we haven't gotten to for healing. Jesus says, I need to continue to move about and to preach the gospel. It is a priority for him. Just when he's drawing huge crowds. I know if you were a traveling evangelist and you were drawing huge crowds, you might not move on to that little town next on your agenda. It might just say, oh, we're we're held over, we're extending. Jesus had a sense of mission. And at the tip, the spear point of that mission is the preaching, the declaring of truth about who he was, what he came to do, what the Father was doing. The truth, such as, no one comes to the Father but through me. The truth, such as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus preached truth and good news. It was his priority. We see the word here, I must. That's new. That's no new vocational Impulse on the part of Jesus. We can renew and revive our impulses. That's a good thing. Remember back when Jesus was uh, 12, 13 years old and he was in Jerusalem and stayed in the temple courts and his family missed him and they had to come back for him. Luke told the story in chapter 2. In verse 49, he said to his parents, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The same compulsion, the same awareness of mission and purpose. Here, Jesus tells us, I must preach. How do we describe Jesus typically? We call him Savior. Should we be calling him preacher? Hebrews chapter 1 seems to elevate Jesus in his preaching office. In past times, God spoke through prophets. But in these latter times, Hebrews tells us he has spoken through his son, the ultimate revelation of who God is. His priority was preaching. There was so much to be done. 
So many broken lives. So many unjust rulers and social structures to be decried. What does Jesus do? He preaches, focusing primarily on the gospel, on the good news. There was another season in history where so much needed to be done. The Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, gave rise to a renaissance and humanism began flourishing and the church was languishing. But God stirred in the hearts of men and women who would be the the forerunners of the Reformation and then the reformers themselves. We could list name upon name. And in their recovery of the gospel, they also recovered the strategic role of preaching. Oh, Martin, there's so much to be done. The church is so distracted by penance and selling indulgences and and a Sunday service done in Latin just to go through the motions and a sacramental. How do we fix the church across the known world, Martin? What do we do? Can, Can you see the parallels coming to a world where God's own people were distracted with the traditions of men. They didn't receive their Messiah well initially. The Reformation was accomplished as the Reformers gave themselves to the work of preaching and writing. And praise God for a guy named Gutenberg who invented a printing press right about that time. The church historian, we're going to camp on this for a minute, the church historian Tim George says that the reformers made preaching a central act of worship. They made it the centerpiece of the church's regular worship. Prior to the Reformation, he says the sermon was mostly an ad hoc event reserved for special occasions or seasons in the liturgical cycle like Christmas and Eastertide. The reformers brought the sermon back and gave it an honored place in the worship of the gathering community. The central role of preaching in Protestant worship can be seen even in the way pulpits were raised to a higher elevation. The main stage wasn't the re-sacrificing of Christ in the Mass, but rather the preaching of the Gospel from the Word of God. Timothy George also comments that the Reformers also included a new theology of preaching They were concerned that the Bible take deep root in the hearts and minds. So exposition. And the reformers would go on to model that. Up and coming historian Michael Reeves describes that practice of the reformers with preaching. In Wittenberg, for a quarter of a century, he says, Luther preached through the Bible, usually at least twice on Sundays, three times during each week. In Zurich, Switzerland, the Reformation really began on January 1st, 1519, when Ulrich Zwingli announced from the pulpit of the great minster that rather than fill his sermons with thoughts of medieval theologians, he would preach his way through Matthew's gospel verse by verse. And when he finished that, he'd keep going through the rest of the New Testament, Zwingli. In Geneva, Calvin spent much of his time preaching twice on Sundays in the New Testament and on alternate weeks every weekday as well from the Old Testament, each time for about an hour. Preaching was the motor, the engine, the drive shaft, the transmission, uh, the universal joint. I'm lost at mechanics. 
it brought the Reformation forward as it shared God's word with others and convinced the world that these things were true. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How? Because you could see it in the scriptures and they'd exposit the scriptures. What we take so much for granted today that you have a Bible in your own language and you can hear preaching without persecution. They didn't have it 506 years ago. Like we have it. Jesus made it a priority to be preaching. Healing was not his priority. It served to point to him and to confirm his words. What else do we see Jesus doing? Back to Luke chapter 4. He, preaching is his priority, but notice that he prepares by praying. Luke just says he went out to a desolate place. Why was that? Why was that? Well, because he went to pray. He went to pray. We'll see that in chapter 5. Uh, that uh, when he... Um, was about to call the disciples, he went to a desolate place to pray. His preaching was fueled by his praying. And his purpose in preaching, his purpose in prioritizing that was to get the good news out. The message wasn't one of repentance only, like John the Baptist. Jesus was bringing the solution to light. He was bringing a message robust with hope about redemption, about the new birth, about being right with God once and for all, having a hope of heaven, having security in that. Good news. You know, when Jesus was born, the angels said it was good news that he came. Luke told us that right back in chapter 2. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he will be good news, he will preach good news, and he will accomplish the means for that good news. In closing, let me ask first, there's a proclamation of good news in Jesus. Have you received it? Have you heard it? Do you, do you know why it's good? And is it news to you? Or do you know it and trust it and believe it? It's still available. It's still being spoken. What is the good news? That God saves sinners. Not that he gives you a roadmap for saving yourself. That's religion. God saves sinners. As Paul would write to Romans, in the gospel, a righteousness from God from faith to faith is revealed for the Jew and for the Gentile. It's a salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ. That's the good news. Jesus didn't come as a model that says, well, if you live like me, you might get to heaven. No. Jesus didn't come and say, if you enlist in the religious orders of the church, be a priest or a nun, you'll get close to God. No. Jesus did say, follow me. He was the captain of our salvation, but he also said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God saves sinners. 
The gospel is not go get saved. The gospel is God saves sinners in and through Jesus Christ. Believe that and be saved. There's good news there. Believe. We also spoke of the power of Jesus here. In closing, I just want to remind you that that power was deployed individually and with compassion. God is at work in the world. God's been at work for centuries as we celebrate the Reformation. He's at work today. He's aware and he cares. Do not presume that you cannot get an audience with Jesus. We are told time and time again, he went the extra mile to heal and to touch all that he could. I think that gives us a flavor for the heart of our Savior for individuals. Jesus is no self-help guru. Oh, buy my book. You'll figure it out. He brings his power to individuals. And by his spirit, individuals are born again into a living hope. And certainly, as we're emphasizing today, do not forget this exhortation about preaching. Preaching is God's design for the reformation and revival of the individual, of his people, and of the world. The Bible hinges on getting the world ready for the return of Christ through the preaching of his word. Using imperfect people holding forth the word of life as imperfectly as we might so that the power inherent in the words and the working of the Holy Spirit in you might be received with joy. Bible-believing Christians near and far do not despair today. We see headlines, whether it's politics or war, We see cultures and disasters. We know pain and challenges ourselves. Hope in God and the promises of his word. Remember that dark day 500 years ago? As Michael Reeve points it, 500 years ago, the Reformation demonstrated the astonishing transformative power of regular and clear scripture exposition. It stands as historical evidence that there is nothing inevitable about church decline. The spiritual darkness of our day can be checked and turned back. 500 years ago, it was, and by the same word of God, which has lost none of its power, it can be today. That gets me so excited. Let's pray for God's word to work here and now and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to bring that word and commissioned apostles to bring it in written form to us. We thank you that we can read it in our own language through translation and hear the warnings and hear the promises and have assurance that these things are true. Father, may your word run with power in this room, through this sermon, into the hearts and minds of all who hear, and by your spirit, change us, grow us, establish us in Christ, 
and equip us and send us forth for Christ and his kingdom. Father, bless those who cling to your word, who love it and obey it. May all these things be to your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.